Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Bick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Guys, that was perfect synchronization there. I'm so so proud of you both. (laughs) So tonight, I'm super excited for everything we're going to be going through. A lot of really fun talking points on the pod to discuss. But before we jump into that, I do want to say a massive thank you to the legends that did get on to... Uh, the reviews or, or that left us a review on Apple Podcasts. It was fantastic to have some of them come on flying in and great to hear the kind words that you, ladies and gentlemen, really, really uh, just put up there and just made my heart quite warm. So thank you. <laughs> um, can we also just humbly ask for some more review legends to put some reviews up? It really, really helps us get, helps us get more traction, helps us get more listens and just makes us feel uh, just, just like... We're not speaking to the void, so thank you. Um, Mitch, over to you, mate. Social platforms. All right. We're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page. And we're on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, this coming Thursday night, we are going to be having Pick and Drive Live. It's going to be super exciting. We're trying to get a guest lined up, although I'm, not, I'm officially not promising you that, but we're trying. Um, and so... Make sure that you're on. We're going to be unpacking some of the, uh, hopefully, team news which has come up from it. Um, Hopefully, the team lists have been announced by that point. And we're going to be previewing, obviously, the rugby championship. Sorry, no, Bledisloe game three. So, we'll we'll preview Bled three slash rugby championship round two. But we will also, if we have time, we might do a preview of the rugby champs tournament that's happening in Queensland. Like the little mini World Cup. Because it kind of it kind of kicks off again, really. Like it doesn't in terms of the table, but it feels like it's a new tournament. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Well, either way, we're super excited. Can't wait for the international season to begin. It's like four solid weeks of international rugby. Uh, so let's basically get into the evening. What we're going to be covering is a couple of quick points of spicy news before we deep dive into the super exciting news about Super Rugby Pacific being officially announced today as of recording. We then, because we didn't have any games over the weekend that we wanted to do a deep dive into, even though there were some Hospital Cup matches, we wanted to go into the Ben Darwin theory of cohesion that he does with gain line analytics. And we've got a few questions, we've got a few comments, we've got a few discussion points around some of the ideas that he's been putting out there. And then finally, we're going to hit up the locker room where a few of you have left some questions and comments for us. So without any further ado, let's go. Well, before we go, you haven't introduced Rev. Rev is joining us tonight as well. He's just sitting oh, there yeah. quietly. Yeah, so you Rev, know what? You are here. You Rev, are here, Rev, aren't you? Rev, are you here? Are you there? I am the part-time silent co-host, so I'll just um, I'll stay in the corner. You guys are doing great. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you very awesome. much. Well, now that we all know Rev's here, let's go. Let's go. Kicking things off with our spicy news is a bit of a look to the Paralympics. So following on, we've seen how our men's and women's teams uh, fed in the sevens at the Olympics and the Aussie Steelers, uh, you know, sought to kind of avenge those teams and go for gold. Um, Fell a little bit short, but put in some really good performances. Uh, Their last uh, result was a semi-final loss to America, uh, which they lost 49 to 42. And I think that was a 
rematch of the Rio 2016 game, which they ended up getting the gold in. So uh, not quite what they were hoping for, but still a really impressive effort from the Steelers. And I might go across to you, Mitch. Um, how did the Steelers actually fare in this sort of Olympics? Did, how did they go throughout the pool matches? And is this result as expected or better or worse? Yeah, I don't want to be too hard on Steelers because they are, um, they're up against it and they've had a really disrupted uh, pr- uh, preparation for this Olympics. There's talks that they weren't able to actually uh, train as a team for more than two years before this Olympics due to COVID. But coming into this tournament, we had won the last four Olympic gold medals straight. So that's 19 years that we had won the gold and we hadn't lost at an Olympics in this event. So we were coming in well and truly like the All Blacks, uh, unbeatable, the team that the team to beat. So the fact that we didn't even medal is probably a little bit un, uh, un unlucky or is is not a good result. Trying to be nice about it. <laughs> it is always tough sometimes with the nature of a Olympics draw and this can happen at World Cups too, where you might end up getting placed against you know the best or second best team in a semi final. It just means that you know realistically Australia could have been the second best team. They could have deserved a medal had they been on the other side of the draw, but just didn't quite get there on the day, but still an impressive effort. And I think our Paralympians have about eight gold medals at the moment, somewhere in the top 10, which is an awesome effort. So keen to see a bit more of them uh, keep going. I know they're doing quite well in the pool. Uh, but continuing on with a bit of the spicy news, one of the things that I've really enjoyed seeing on Twitter is Darren Coleman, uh, the newly minted Waratahs head coach, is discussing some pre-season matches and potentially even a tour involving some of the teams from Shoot Shield, maybe even a best of Shoot Shield sort of setup. So Ando surely is a Waratahs fan and just quietly the only Waratahs fan on this podcast. Disgusting. <laughs> um, Absolutely you, disgusting. You must be pretty excited by that news. Yeah, I am. Um, if you mean the betrayal of one of my longest and dearest rugby friends um, over to the dark side, then yeah, I am. Because good riddance. Oh, good bloody riddance. <laughs> but if you're talking about Darren Coleman's idea for preseason tours or matches for the Tars, and yeah, I love it. Um, I think it's a really, really great opportunity for a team that has been really raw and had a lot of new players coming and going to get an opportunity to bed things down prior to whatever the trials look like just pre-Super Rugby season. Usually there's two matches um, prior to the Super season. So the as many games as we can possibly get into them, the better, I think, is my kind of mantra. And I liked a lot of what he was saying in terms of wanting to recruit players who were... Um, New South Welshmen who were big, who were physical and just had that kind of pride like we've seen a lot of in Brad Thorne's rebuilding of the Queensland Reds as well. So getting an idea of playing for the pride of your state, which is something that I sometimes feel has outwardly been missing, even if the players have definitely felt it. I I can't, I don't know, but it's good to hear that that's something that he's trying to achieve. And it's interesting to note, and it's good to see as well, that he's only been in the job officially, like in New South Wales for a week or so now. And one of his first uh, actions as head coach of the Waratahs was to have a a Zoom call with all the various coaches from the Shoot Shield teams. And he was very open and said, how can we as the Waratahs be better and make our players more accessible to you and vice versa? So he's already opening those channels, which is something we haven't had at the Waratahs for a long time. And he's already starting to change things up. And we can see that through his approach to the preseason now. So I don't know if you, you've heard the exact information, what they're talking about around this, Ando, but Darren Common wants to play a shoot shield team this year. Yep. So normally he's not talking about playing um, 
February or late January next year as a preseason. He wants this to be this year to get more game time into the Waratahs players who aren't currently playing rugby at all. Yep. So some of the other details that have come out, and it's not completely confirmed, but there's little whispers, is that he's got a, a different approach to how he's going to um, approach the kind of Christmas layoff period. So re- normally the Waratahs would train together as a group up until kind of late November, and then they'd all break off for a few weeks and come back first week of January ready and have a real run into the super season. But he's not doing it that way this time. He wants them to have their holiday breaks broken up throughout it. So they'll they'll train, they'll play, They'll have maybe a few days off here or a week here or there, but it won't be like a month off like they have in the past. So he wants to keep that consistency there yep. and really build into 2022, which is promising. Yep. And I think the nice thing with this and probably something that benefits doing it before Christmas is we saw uh, through 2021 that the Waratahs did have to call on a few outside backs and locks and even a, a decent chunk of props as well just to try and uh, fill the bench for some of their games. This is a really good opportunity to just see where the cream that crop is in Shoot Shield. And that's something that Darren Coleman has got a lot of history in identifying is that sort of local talent. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of uses however many fixtures it is to bolster his squad with maybe three to five players that are just sort of sticking out at Shoot Shield level and he thinks he could develop uh, into Super Rugby champions. But extending from that, one Super Rugby champion who is getting his first crack at test captaincy is Artie Surveyor, who comes in with... Um, you know, the All Blacks have quite a few big-name players out between Dane Coles, Aaron Smith, Sam Whitelock, um, and who else are they missing? Richie, uh, Richie Moana. Richie Moana. Yep. You know, we're looking at over 300 test caps there. It's a lot of experience. Um, so Adi Sevilla's coming in and having captain the Hurricanes this year, I think this is a really just uh, sort of reward for him um, because he's one of those hard-working players that goes about his business. has sort of very quietly accrued, I think, 55 or so test caps so he's quite experienced. He's quite a good leader. Um, leads with his words, supposedly, in the group, but definitely by actions as well. So um, this is something that's quite exciting, and I think it's just made the Severe and Hooper matchup in the back row even more enticing. <laughs> yep. um, have we and spoken... This... Sorry, I just wanted to throw in. Have we spoken on the pod already that they're leaving those three big names behind? No, I don't, we, think we, not that... I don't think we had that news yet. Okay. I've got something to say before we move on off this topic. So... You Rip. say you, you I don't want to going, take Rip. away from you the keep captain. going, Riff. <laughs> I just want to throw uh, to you know, just to see. Um, I, I guess was he the person you thought would assume the captaincy with Sam Whitelock gone, and you know, with Brody Ritalik and Bowden Barrett as his vice captains and understudies, how formidable is this team even without some of those key players? Oh, look, they're replacing class with class, and they have a depth within their player base that no other team in the world can match at this point in time. Um, The South Africans may be able to come a bit closer than some of the other teams, but the Kiwis, they're second, not not even second, this is not a second string team, but the ability that they have to bring in. So Richie Mwanga doesn't come, who do you put in his place? Bowden Barrett or Damian McKenzie? Oh no, what a pity. (laughs) They're still two two or three of the world's best number 10s. They're also Uh, arguably fullbacks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, look, they they have an abundance of riches, and um, if 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 we pull off the win against them this weekend, I do not want a single Kiwi fan to claim that this was a second string team because they're so damn good that they can afford to replace. Oh, we can play that card. We can play that card. No, they'll we've be got players. <laughs> no, but we've got players out too. Hunter Paisami and yeah, Lukan Salakar also. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, so we um, can play that card. But I love right. that Artie Sevilla has been chosen. He's just one of the most dynamic and enjoyable players to watch. And I, I just love watching him. He's so, so powerful, never gives up. I think it was in, um, was it in Super Rugby Aotearoa where in one game he had like a knee injury for the final 15 minutes of the game or something. And the camera just followed that. There was this one clip that I saw of the camera just following oh, him yeah. around. After like every ruck and tackle, he'd be on the ground clutching at his knee and then would like just punch the ground, get up again, hobble over to the next one, smash <laughs> somebody in a tackle, go down again. <laughs> <laughs> and you just get like the, the the will that this guy has. Absolutely love it. So yeah, I'm keen to see him play and congratulations for his captaincy. It's fantastic. One of the things you mentioned there, just about how um, Australia might not be at full strength. I did want to mention that uh, we did a bit of a, a a podcast 15 where we picked, uh, you know, between ourselves and Draft Rugby and uh, Matt Durant from Gold Digger about where we would fit in a, uh, you know, <laughs> in a forward pack. Yes. And technically we haven't made ourselves available for the Wallaby selection. So whether or not we would have made it, we haven't declared ourselves fit. So just know that there is room for um, that squad to blow out a little bit or potentially improve if we uh, did declare ourselves fit. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm going to anytime soon. But uh, some of the players that are fit and firing are the Queensland Premier Grade rugby players uh, contesting the Hospital Cup. But all, all the teams through the Colts, the grades, uh, they've had an awesome weekend of rugby in between. Uh, I think it was Norths and Jeeps, um, two of the clubs in Brisbane, and they're getting ready to have uh, their set of finals this weekend. So uh, all the Colts other than Colts 1 and all of the grades in the men other than primary grade, they're going to be playing at Sunnybank, uh, whereas we've got the Colts 1 team, the women's premier team, and also the premier men's team playing at Suncorp, which is an awesome and I think fitting sort of farewell for um, this season for these players. Then we get to play out at Ballymore, and that's always a massive occasion. Um, there's really not many better things to do in Queensland than sit at um, 4X Hill, just having a few drinks and probably a sausage roll or two, um, looking over the, the Ballymore Stadium. Um, so I think the fact that these players get to go to Suncorp and have that big occasion, especially for the women who will get their first opportunity there, is just awesome. Um, so just How are you expecting, crowd-wise, how are you expecting it to feel or to, to go? Well, one of the biggest blows is that... Um, Northy, who's one of the biggest uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, cheer squad members for the East Rugby Club, is going to be on a box weekend at the coast, so he won't be there. Um, but I think we should get a decent amount of numbers. I think if it was to match some of the Ballymore figures, maybe taking into account COVID and that we're going to have you know, a test at Suncourt quite soon, a test at Gold Coast quite soon, I'd hope we'd get it around 5,000 plus. Yeah. Um, I think 5,000 ticket sales would be good. The big challenge will be that at Ballymore, it's a lot more informal. You can sort of rock up on the day and pay. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not sure what the go is with Suncorp. I can't imagine it'll be quite as affordable just based off the venue. But you know, it that... will be. It will be an interesting test to see how it goes because two years ago now, the Shoot Shield moved their final to Bankwest Stadium in a very similar situation, and Bankwest isn't as big as uh, Suncorp is. But at the same time, they've been playing most of their finals for the last few years at North Sydney Oval and filling it up. And it's a great atmosphere because it's suburban. You can get close to the action. They took it to Suncorp, uh, to Bank West. And the same probably number of people went. But the fact that they were in a much bigger stadium that was professional, there wasn't access to the grounds, it didn't have the same feeling. Even watching it on, uh, I believe it was Fox or whatever it was at the time, you could see that there just wasn't an atmosphere in the stadium. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, that might be just a New South Wales thing. That that was the, also the other situation that the Waratahs struggle with is 
moving a very uh, northern beaches kind of final location out west to Parramatta meant that people weren't going to travel to it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes in Queensland. Yeah, especially with this being the biggest occasion that a lot of these players will have played on. And I guess there's a few exceptions, which is what I want to get to with some of the uh, Premier grade men. But I do want to shout out um, my club East. They did get through to two of the Suncourt finals. The Colts one team won 17 nil. Um, you wow. know, to get through that without conceding points, pretty cool. Uh, I think they only dropped a game or two throughout, so they're going to be really strong in the coming years, uh, filling out that uh, Premier team. And then the women, they got up over Sunnybank, I think 24-15. Um, the bit of goal-kicking proved the difference in the end. But the Premier men, the, the finals here, no East team, but two really awesome games. And for anyone yep. that hasn't gone onto the stand and uh, watched these two, these are really fantastic, high-quality games. And I think probably helping a little bit with the argument when people are saying we need an NRC. I agree mm -hmm. we do, but when you see some of these players, it's not crazy to think that they could jump up to that sort of wider squad. So UQ beat Brothers 29-24, and that's a fitting result given how UQ had gone throughout the season. Um, the big talking point for them will be that they're going to have two Wallaby hookers in James Hansen and Stephen Moore as they're starting in reserve hooker, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and then the big, big upset was very late in the game. Matt Gokurl, who's had a fair bit of game time uh, under uh, Dave Vessels at the Rebels. He went down for a few games and... Uh, Vessels can't speak highly enough about him. He scored the winning try to level things up at 39 all before Jason Hoffmeyer kicked a really clutch sideline conversion to win 41-39, unfortunately sending West out of the finals contention for the 15th straight year, but awesome result for Jeeps. So the UQ Jeeps game will be worth price of admission, even if you're not there for the Colts or the women's games. But really, I think this is a good weekend of rugby and kind of a nice sort of precursor without any Springboks or Pumas action this weekend. I thought, um, was it Hoffmeyer, the guy who got the cotch kick at the end yeah, for um, yeah. Jeeps? He, wasn't he the one that um, screwed up that, that he dropped the ball in the in goal to lead to one of the uh, West tries and then had a charge down, which led to that in awesome hooker's involvement as well that led to another try straight after. He had a horrible period for about five minutes, but then his kicking showed absolute ice running through his veins. So I was really impressed by his capacity to not let those two pretty bad involvements, one after the other, um, ru ruin the rest of his game. He did great uh, in the tail end of the matches. And how, did, how long has uh, Joe Powell been playing for Brothers for? He came up pretty... Uh, soon after the Super Rugby Trans Tasman season, because I I tuned on to this game not expecting to see Powell there at all. Is that is that Joe Powell? I, the, the, <laughs> I think the funny thing the uh, Melbourne Rebels because they don't have many local players. A lot of the um, players they've got are affiliated with other clubs. Um, and the big thing they realised was that you know with um, New South Wales and ACT having quite stricter lockdowns than Queensland. I think Carter Gordon and Mason Gordon were just like, well, actually coming up with us because, you know, we're we're playing at, um, you know, West. We've got a few players that, you know, could uh, definitely join in. So I think Tuttle, Joe Powell, uh, Lamani was playing in uh, Queensland. A lot of the players that weren't Queensland affiliated were coming up to get some game time. So it was good to see that they were using their time wisely. And again, doesn't that just scream of, it does. we have another comp so that we could <laughs> get really, these players playing? I sat there, I just, I felt it 100% watching yeah. this. Yep. They, even the players are crying out for game time. And you can see that with some of the Australian players who are over, over in New Zealand playing in the MPC. That yeah. They're now expected to sit at home and do nothing until February next year if they're not super rugby contracted 
as a professional rugby player, it's just not good enough. Well, that's what Darren Coleman, I guess, will be hoping to change with his um, late season inclusion of uh, fixtures. But we'll see how that goes. We'll wrap up the spicy news there because we have a lot to talk about and we're very keen to dive into the new Super Rugby format. Let's go. Let's go. All right, so the biggest news out of the rugby world at the moment is the announcement of Super Rugby Pacific, which will be taking place next year. Now, we had rumors of this coming out last week, but the the rumors have been confirmed and some of the final details have been added. So what we're looking at, Super Rugby Pacific, it will be a 14-week regular season with 12 teams. We've got the five Australian Super Rugby sides, the five New Zealand Super Rugby sides, plus the inclusion of Moana Pacifica and Fijian Drua. Uh, the finals series is a little bit confusing in some ways, and it's a bit of contention for a lot of people, but we'll go through that. So the final series will see the top eight battle teams battle it out. Uh, so from 12 teams down to eight, with quarterfinals, semis, and then a grand final. So the quarterfinals will see first verse eighth, second verse seventh, third verse sixth, and fourth verse fifth, with the top-ranked team hosting each game. Then the semifinals will have the top-ranked quarterfinal hosts against the lower-ranked quarterfinal hosts, or final winners, and second-highest-ranked quarterfinal host, third-highest-ranked quarterfinal winner, before we get to a final. Uh, which would be the top-ranked semi-final winner hosts the other semi-final winner. So the other few details that were still up in the air when this was first announced last week was how the comp, the the format of the comp would actually go. So you, each team will play every other team in the competition once. So that is, what is that, 12, 11 games? Yes, 11 games. And then there'll be three extra games, which... Uh, they will play, and that was the point of contention last week when we had this first announced. New Zealand wanted the three extra games to be randomly allocated, so it didn't sort of skew either direction as favoured towards Australia or New Zealand. But what they have officially announced today in Super Rugby Pacific, that those three extra games will be based on local derbies. So you'll be only playing teams within your Australian... or your country conference so super rugby au or super rugby Aotearoa. i'll just jump in there um, um two of the yep. three will be home derbies so the the third of the three is not confirmed yet but it has been confirmed that two of the three will be home derbies oh interesting yep. okay i hadn't read that yep. i hadn't read that part so that third one will be random uh potentially it hasn't yet been confirmed either way okay interesting well i'll throw this one first to you rev and what are your thoughts around this whole format with the final series and the three extra games? I think um, in terms of the actual competition, I like the teams involved. I'm glad we didn't cut any Australian teams, and I'm keen to see the Pacific Islands included. In terms of the competition format, I would have liked to have played more games, uh, whether we can tack on a Super Rugby AU before or after the season or something like that. 14 games doesn't seem like a lot, but I guess this leads into the final series. With the finals... um, we're guaranteed one Australian team in there, at the very least. Um, at max, we'll probably get maybe three. I have to imagine all five Kiwi sides will feature at some point. Um, so that's nice. Those teams will get a bit of extra game time, and that could feature well. My big concern uh, with this, and it's probably two things, um, top eight does seem like a lot. Part of me yeah. wants to be yeah. um, happy with that because it means more games for Australians and maybe a uh, higher likelihood of getting a, you know, a final or even a semi-final 
So maybe that's a positive we can take from it, but it does seem kind of odd to reward a team for finishing eighth because more than likely they're going to have more losses than wins. So should a team that isn't, you know, winning at least half their games be in the finals? And then probably my other big thing, the two derbies and the um, the other match, the, the three extra they attack on, this needs to be done really carefully, I think, because my thoughts is in the Super Rugby AU this year, we saw the Western Force and Melbourne Rebels really just sort of split by two points on the competition ladder. And my thoughts is if we had to throw three games on the end and the Western Force have to play the Reds, Brumbies as their two Australian games and then the Crusaders, but the Rebels have to play uh, the Waratahs, the Force, uh, they can't play the Force, but you know, the Waratahs, maybe the Indrua and then the Blues. That's a much easier ride in for them. Uh, as opposed to what the force would have to go through. So that's always going to be the point of contention. And I think it always gets a bit murky when there's a bit of a gulf between which teams play which. And that's the one thing that made Super Rugby murky back in 2000 what was it, 2008, uh, when they expanded initially, and then when they obviously got to like 2011 and beyond. Uh, that's when it just sort of got too hard to control. So that's the only bit that I'm a little bit sceptical about. Yeah, I've got a couple of points in there that I'd kind of love to see happen. The first one is I'm um, the setting up of like some type of the establishment of some type of rivalry. Like if we're going to keep going with this competition moving forward, then setting up that one of those three games is the um, kind of state of origin Reds Tars mm. match. And that you say that this is the deciding match within the state of origin series or within state of origin four. But does Queensland really care about state of origin? No, but I feel we, like, but the, we... <laughs> like I feel like, I feel like the, the rivalries now established with with the ACT with the Brumbies. Maybe, maybe. But uh, either way, we we set up some type of um, rivalry like that and just yeah. continue with that. And the other point is, I like you and uh, Darren Coleman's come out and said it. Um, other other Lockie McCaffrey's come out and said it as well in some of the tweets he's been putting out there. Um, I don't think that having that many people get into the finals is a good idea. But instead, we should see something like a shield playoff, like we've been advocating for previously sevens model yeah sevens model but for, for us it's just the idea of like one to four you're playing for the cup and then five to eight you're playing for the shield and if you're nine to twelve well be better and get into it next year <laughs> like genuinely genuinely um and, and just do something like that where because what that does or even if you got, want to go one to six and seven to twelve um that's just guaranteeing further game time for all the players and one of the major things like we talked about last week when we did that comparison between marcus smith and noah lulisiu with the comparative levels of game time that they're getting australian players do not play enough games of rugby union as the top tier players do when they have the internationals included but if yeah. you're not in that wallaby starting 23 or let's say wallaby 30 you don't play enough games of professional rugby at a high enough level. And so we need to be finding ways within the system if there's no NRC where we can be getting as many games as possible and just having a simple cup shield playoff gets a couple more games for um, players within some of the less strong teams. Well, but does it change anything to what we currently have other than there's two trophies up for grabs? Uh, yeah, Because we've yeah, still yeah. got the top eight still going through, so they're still playing. Uh, yeah, but you also have four other teams that aren't playing. And it guarantees so you said an extra match in your as one well. Because if we've got was... fifth to eight playing, all those teams are going to get a game. But in the current system, if they lose, they're out. Whereas in this case, they get yep. to play for fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth. Yeah, so it does give them one extra. I read a great article last week. Uh, I can't remember exactly where I read it now, unfortunately. Sorry. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd link it. But there was a great article. And what it was saying was with this 
tournament, what it will do is it will create interest long-term into the season for fans. So if we only took the top four teams or the top uh, six teams even, uh, you, you generally get to a point in the season where there's probably two, three, maybe even four rounds to go, and it's clear who's made those playoffs, and it's not clear for the play, for the teams underneath at the bottom of the table. Yep. There's no chance for them to make the playoffs anymore. So it becomes disenfranchised for the fans. It becomes disenfranchised for the players because their season can't get any better from that point. What this system allows is with the top eight, there is still a very high chance that come that last round, there will be three... Uh, three, maybe even four teams that are vying for that eighth spot who are still very close on the table in terms of win and loss percentages and, and points. So what they're saying is with this system, by having that many teams make it through, you will still have competition for those final spots later on into the tournament, which will then re-engage fans, get more interest, particularly when you've got games lower on, like games lower on the table happening than if we were looking at sort of Super Rugby AU or Super Rugby Trans Tasman, uh, Super Rugby Aotearoa this year, where you sort of the last two rounds kind of didn't matter because no team was really going to like look at the Tars. There was no chance <laughs> at the Tars from halfway through the season that they were ever going to make it. We should never use the Tars in 2020 as an example of anything, except for poor like organizational planning. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I thought that was yeah, interesting that I hadn't looked at it that way either that it will create more interest for fans of clubs who are lower on the table because they've still potentially got a, a shot. And once you make the eight, it's it's all on again. I mean, it's very unlikely that you would come in rank eighth, say the Rebels made that eighth spot. They'd most likely be playing um, the Blues, Crusaders. the Crusaders or like the Chiefs, say. And it'd be very unlikely that they would beat them, particularly in New Zealand, but they could do it. And so that creates interest there. So I don't, I don't mind that idea of it. Yeah, I just think that you shouldn't get into the finals coming 8th out of 12th is the basic thing. Like, I hear what you're saying and I agree with it with, with that perspective. I understand that perspective, but I just think they're like, I don't know, man. Should you be re- potentially rewarded for a losing season? I don't know. And the problem this tournament's always going to have, and it was always going to have this, and that's the problem that Trans-Tasman had last year, is that it's always going to be skewed in New Zealand's favour. There's no Australian rugby just at the current time is not at a, a place where we can competitively compete with New Zealand consistently and really push to make the finals. So they need to do something and be innovative to be able to make it a little more balanced. So the fact that there still is statistically a chance for the Australian teams or two or three Australian teams to make the finals, because if they only took the top four teams in the finals, the first two years, there would be no Australian team represented at all. And that would just disenfranchise the whole rugby community in Australia. Look, I think you might be being a little harsh towards the Australian teams, but I Top do hear what you Top four teams, come on. Yeah, genuinely, I think the Reds or the Brumbies could, in the next two years, one of them be in a top four. I don't think that's that much of a harsh, like, I don't think that's an outrageous claim to make, especially when we're going to be playing a bunch of Australian teams as well. So, like, it's not that outrageous. Okay. Anyway. We have a pretty interesting comment that's come in from Krishan Casanada, which is a one that I just wanted to throw to you guys. And um, Rev, I might get you to jump in here. So he had a couple of questions for us about Super Rugby Pacific. And he asked, was it a mistake to let the Sunwolves go, given the growth of the game in Japan and the money the market can bring? And then do you, we've already answered this second one, but I'll just read it out anyway. Do you reckon this final structure has too many teams? What structure do you reckon is right? So Rev, was it a mistake to let the Sunwolves go? Oh. 
I do like the question, and I think Japan's an untapped market uh, for us. If we could get some games going against the top league teams, that'd be great. But we've got to be honest, the Sunwolves are a joke of a team. Like, they yeah. played, what, 64 games. I think they won eight of them. Um, you know, they weren't competitive. And the, the clever thing for them, and full power to them, um, their uh, Blave, uh, Brave Blossoms coaching staff used that as a development tool for their test team. And that worked out really well because all their players were contracted to the Sunwolves. But they just paid them all this money so they could train as a test squad the whole time. Their test players barely played any of the Sunwolves games. It was really just there to get minutes and a bit of cohesion together. So, I mean, the Sunwolves didn't take the competition seriously. So good riddance they're gone. Um, they're an absolute jerk. But Japan is a great market to get into. Was I was I harsh enough there? I hate the Sunwolves. <laughs> you were pretty harsh. Yeah. Pretty harsh. Mitch, what do you reckon? Oh, and the other side of that coin is that the reason the Sunwolves didn't work is because there was no buy-in. So the Japan Rugby Union didn't support the Sunwolves so they were privately owned and what ended up happening was that the the financial cost of running them as a competition uh, as a team fell back on the other players in uh, the other teams in super rugby so they were never financially viable because they didn't have the buy-in of Japan Rugby Union now I don't think that Japan is interested in joining super rugby at the moment they're just about to kick off their rugby league one uh, end of this year or next year or whenever the still a stupid name just putting it out yeah. there. So they're, they're doing their own thing. They don't need us. It's more of we would like to tap into their market. But at the same time, I don't think it's logistically going to work. It takes 11 hours to fly from Auckland to, to Tokyo. So 11 hours twice in one week with a five or six day turnaround. You've got, you lose two, two days of training just to get there and play. Uh, we what's been revealed is around this tournament for 2022 is that the Fiji and Drew are going to be based in Queensland and Moana Pacific will, will be based out of New Zealand somewhere. So there's not even international travel into the Pacific Islands yet because we just don't know at the moment where, where COVID's going to be next year. I just don't see it feasible that we're going to have teams flying back and forth to Japan um, twice a week from Australia and New Zealand to make it competitive. Uh, yes, it'd be great to have them to expand our market to get more interest from the, the Asian uh, market, but it, it takes a lot of money to do that and I just don't see it happening. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, are we all good to move on to the next topic for discussion? Anything else you wanted to throw in there about Super Rugby Pacific? I just want to say that I was initially I was a bit skeptical when they announced this last week um, and my, my biggest fear for this was that New Zealand at the time weren't coming to the table and it was they didn't want those three extra games to be local based derbies because they thought it was going to be more skewed to Australia uh, because the Australian teams would therefore have an easier run to the finals because the, the New Zealand teams were therefore going to have to play themselves twice to get to the final. So the first thing that I thought was funny that even New Zealand are, are uh, confirming that they don't want to play themselves first of all they're too good. <laughs> Um, the second thing was that I'm just happy that it's been announced that those uh, two of them, if not three, I thought it was three, but if, if two, like you said, Ando, yep. are going to be local derbies, then it means that Rugby Australia did their best and actually won the negotiation. So we pushed for what we wanted and we saw something that's going to be better for us. Yeah, It's more, yeah, yeah. it's better for Australian rugby to see these derbies till we can see 
uh, New South Wales and Queensland play each other home and away in a, in a given year, or the Reds and, and the Brumbies, or the Force and the Rebels. We've got some great stories developed through Super Rugby AU. The best thing that we can do now is build on those stories in 2022. So the fact that Rugby Australia has got that across the line is a massive, massive tick. And well done to Marinos and everyone else who was in part of that uh, negotiation process because uh, for once they've kicked a goal and we've got one up over New Zealand, which is great to see. <laughs> Long may that last, hey boys. Well, yep. why don't we jump into our next topic, which is a theory of cohesion by Ben Darwin and Gainline Analytics. <laughs> For a while now, it's been a long-standing joke that to sound like you have some idea of what you're talking about on an Australian rugby podcast, you just need to say the word cohesion. And then the listeners and the likes and the retweets all come flowing in. And that's partly why we say it so much every, ep- every episode, every week, cohesion, cohesion, cohesion. But tonight we wanted to, pretty respectfully, uh, have a discussion around some of the chat about cohesion that's been happening recently. Um, Part of this has been prompted by ideas and thoughts that we've been mulling over as a trio uh, over cohesion and what Ben Darwin has been doing with Gainline Analytics over the last couple of years. And partly it's been prompted by one of our loyal listeners, Ryan, at Celtic334 on Twitter. Um, and so he he put a bunch of questions forward and uh, we're going to be talking through those. We're going to be touching on some of the ideas that he, he has brought up. Now, let's go to you quickly, Rev. If you were to give me a just textbook definition of cohesion as you understand it, what would it be? Uh, the more players play together. Regardless of the level, the better the team will function. Yeah, cool. That's a great definition, mate. Um, And that ties in really well. I just wanted to give a really quick overview of the idea of cohesion. Now, let this be clear. I'm not an expert. Please listen to Ben Darwin's podcast that he's done across a variety of different um, platforms or audiences. He obviously is the guru and the one to go to about this. But I'm actually going to be quoting from Simon Strawn, his co-founder of Gainline Analytics, in an article that he did a little while back. So generally, when people think of cohesion, psychological measures come to people's minds. This isn't that. We've created a series of objective measurements of the understanding between teammates and develop metrics that allow us to effectively create create a proxy for the amount of understanding that members of a team have and doesn't have to be a sports team either. We see cohesion as a commodity just as others see skill as a commodity. So basically, like Rev was saying, it's the idea of how much players themselves within an environment are cohesive or have a shared understanding of the why and the how of playing or the why and the how of working together within a particular environment. Okay, so I guess Ryan's question uh, that he he wanted to start with, and Mitch, I might throw this to you, mate. Have we as Australians or Australia gone too far in the cohesion excuse basket? So our teams aren't cohesive. We've got too many teams for the amount of players that we have, etc., etc. Have we gone too far into that basket when it's most likely talent that is the biggest issue? What think you, Mitch? Wow, this is a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it is. basically it saying is. like there's a lot of people out there that are saying that we need we only have enough talent in Australia to have two or th- even at the most three super rugby sides. And so they they're quoting a lot of what Ben Darwin's saying through this cohes- cohesion that if we have only three sides, we'll get better cohesion. The players will be playing together, they'll have more time together, so therefore when they get to the wallabies, they'll be more cohesive as a unit. Uh but what Ryan is saying in this question is the fact is not necessarily that cohesion is the problem. 
it's an excuse that people are using, but is we actually don't have enough talent in Australia. Um, I don't really know where I sit on this one. It's a <laughs> well, tough Rev, one. Well, Rev, why don't I throw it to you then? Do you have any thoughts about this point? Yeah, this one's tough because um, we're using cohesion as an excuse. That's because we've got a pretty young side, even though the bulk of our team comes from uh, the Brumbies and the Reds. Uh, in our current Wallabies squad, I think we've got 15 Brumbies players, about 10 Reds players, probably a few more once you include Karevi, Paola and Cooper, who all played for the Reds and have played with a lot of these players. So I think um, cohesion is a tough marker for us to compare against when, when really a lot of it is just because it's not that these guys haven't played together, they have. They just haven't played at test level together. Yeah. Um, and the thing that sort of exaggerates this is, as I just mentioned before, and I've used the excuse um, that, you know, well, we've got all these Brumbies and Reds, we should be quite cohesive. When we look at the combinations and the, the combinations that matter, we don't use those, um, the really important ones. Uh, ben Darwin said that the least important position for cohesion is the seven, which makes sense because they have a bit of a looser role. But when we look at the ones that are a bit more um, dependent on that, the halves combination is the most um, pivotal one. And because of James O'Connor's injury and Nick White's injury, we haven't actually fielded a starting halves combination that played for the same team, um, despite that probably being our best likelihood. If we had Nick White and Noah Lolasio, or if we had Tate McDermott and James O'Connor, they're probably two better combinations than what we've been running with at the moment. Surely the answer to that is just bring Will Harrison in and start with Gordon and Harrison. <laughs> Problem done. If COVID wasn't an issue, I'd be yeah. shouting that to the ceilings, yep. I hope the um the sound of vomit didn't come through on the microphone there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but, like, it is... It, I mean, even Gordon Harrison, that would be a nice combination at some point to see. It's just... We can't use the excuse of, oh, we've got all these Brumbies players in here together, we've got all these Rose players, if they're not playing in those spots together. Like Hunter Paisami yep, yep. and Lenikatao, that's our best centre combination we've used at the moment. But they've not played any considerable minutes together at Test Rugby. They yep. just happen to be two good, promising young players. So I think we can use cohesion as an excuse um, because we haven't shown to be cohesive yet. But, yep. you know, Endo, you're right when you're saying that it's still like a talent as well, comparatively. These guys just aren't as experienced enough yet, and they'll get there. I really like our current crop, but um, you know it's not going to be coming anytime soon. And as Ben Darwin will say, cohesion doesn't happen overnight. But it will happen. So let's go now to Mitch. Does Ben Darwin's cohesion theory get more credence in Australia because he's an ex-Wallaby and he's kind of got points on the board from his participation in Oz Rugby? Yeah, I think it does, and, and purely from the fact that he's been there. So he's been inside a professional environment. He's been a player. He's been a super rugby player. He's been a wallaby. So he knows what it takes to be successful. And he knows what it, it is to be in a, a rugby union player going up against New Zealand so often. So I think he gets runs on the board purely from the fact that he's done that. If it's another person who's doing all of this data and, and has analyzed it and just put the statistics together to form this idea but they have never actually played at that level, then a lot of people, I think, would find what they're trying to say quite skeptical because yep. they've never actually been there. So Ben yep. Darwin is coming from baseline, coming from a place of experience. He has been there. He knows. Um, yeah. He's part of a successful Brumbies team as well. So he, he would have been putting this together in his mind over a number of years. See, I actually don't think it should. Um, I think he's, I think he does get more airtime because he's an ex-Wallaby, but I don't think he should because like we said, when we were talking through um, 
Oh, what we're talking through is some of the player opinions. Um, oh, I'm having a mental blank. But basically, just because you're an ex-player at a high level doesn't mean that you're a good kind of statistician or yeah. um, analyst of organizational environments. But obviously, he is <laughs> excellent at those. So I think it's a perfect, uh, it's a really good combination where because he's got the background in it and the skill set and he's paired really well with um, business partners who complement him as well that his, his theories, his words, and what game line analytics do are getting more traction, which is, which is really positive because I like... The thing that I like about it that it brings is long-term thinking. And it's tr- staying away from that kind of English premiership style or English championship style of just dropping the manager when there's issues within a team. And instead it's going, well, actually, let's look at the overall systems and structures that we have in place and see whether we can be improving them and not just going for a quick and easy fix when actually that may lead to some temporary form improvement. But then again, the same systemic issues will be coming through yet again. Now, one of the things that I want to bring up, um, which isn't uh, mentioned here from Ryan, but I actually I actually have a bit of a bone to pick with Mr. Benny Darwin. And Ooh. I wanted to see if I'm if I have any kind of support from my fellow pod pod let's just say disclaimer all thoughts and opinions that are now stated are those of yes 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 basically my um so so gain analytics or ben darwin have spoken for a while about the need to reduce the number of australian teams down okay and generally he says it's three and the assumption would be is that you would go with the three and i know that this is an assumption but you would go with the three longest running um super rugby clubs so reds Tars and Brumbies, okay? But every single time I have heard him talk about the need to reduce the number of teams within Super Rugby, he has completely shied away from any discussion of the practicalities in which that would occur. And he... Maybe this is some of the IP that he's keeping kind of close to the chest or something like that, and he doesn't want to share it. Or maybe it's simply not his or Ganon Analytics' role to figure out how to implement this. But can you imagine the crap storm that would happen? I'm pretty sure Western Australia would like actually break apart down a fault line and split off from the rest of Australia if we shafted the force again from Super Rugby. And I'm whilst I don't think there would be that seismic a shift if the Rebels were to get cut, that would still be a pretty significant thing because it is quite a passionate rugby passionate but small rugby community down in victoria as well and i just feel like sometimes his theories exist in the realm of fancy without some of the practical real world applications of how it is going to be achieved so rev do you see where i'm coming from do you have an opinion about that or i don't know am i just talking into the thin air here (laughs) no i think that's entirely fair um I I think it's such a snap thing for people to say, oh, yeah, well, we'll just cut through teams and not thinking about all the money that goes into them and, you know, all the work that's gone into having those teams as established, um, you know, constituents. So I don't think it's... I just don't think it's well thought out to say, oh, we'll just cut teams. Because we saw what a debacle it was when we tried to cut either the Rebels or the Force. Um, and clearly that's all just come back to bite. Like, that was just such a needless saga that's, you know, really just put... Um, Rugby Australia in more debt than anything, given the force of back competing and doing quite well compared to the Rebels and Tars. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it really holds any weight to say that that's a viable option unless you give a clear path of how that could work. Mitch, any thoughts? I think you've got to be a little bit realistic in the situation that Ben is 
in the situation uh, when he's saying these things. Like well, he's on podcasts and he's on radio interviews and things. So he's got a product. He has IP in his pocket that he's trying to sell in the market. He's not going to come onto a pro- onto a podcast and just give everything yeah, away yeah, yeah. for free. So I imagine that Ben actually has a model that he thinks would work. He may even be working with Rugby Australia on that model. He, I know he's working with the Waratahs because he's been shying away on Twitter recently when people directly ask him questions about the Tars. He will reply and say, I, I can't comment on that. I'm, I'm linked to yep. them. Like I'm professionally, that's a professional question that I can't answer. So I know that he's working with the Waratahs. Hopefully good things come of it. I imagine that they will. But I would expect that he has data and statistics and he has a plan of what would be a successful model for Rugby Australia. Uh, he's just not going to come out and say it in a podcast or just give his IP away. Yep. He probably wants Rugby Australia to come to him and say, we'd love to hear what you have to say and and, and hear him out, that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I personally don't agree with the idea of going down to three. And I've been in a lot of Twitter battles with a lot of people around <laughs> this whole discussion. And I could talk about it all yep. day. I just don't see how we can be a successful product with only three teams particularly was- in the Australian market. We're not going to get into that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I would imagine that Ben Darwin does have plans and, and models and different statistics to back him up and different ways of how it could work. He may have multiple ways of how it could work. There um, was a really good article that um, Ryan shared with us as well as a part of this discussion, which was about some of the reform or the revitalization that happened to the Irish club Connacht uh, back in 2003 basically they were looking at going under multiple times and um there was a basically an internal review where a guy called morgan buckley who later went on to work for um world rugby basically looked at the entire system did an internal review of the entirety of connect and then the irish rugby system and decided to not do away with it and there's a whole bunch of reasons with an article that are listed for it. But one of the ones that really stuck out to me was the discussion around um, what happens if you cut down the number of professional teams to the potential player base that you have. Because an Australian rugby, super rugby team is what, roughly 30 professional players that are a part of that setup. Um, So at the moment we have, if we assume that everybody is fit and that there are no and that there are no foreign players playing in a team. So yep. we have, what, 150 available players. So 30 by 5, 150. Now, take out half the Western Force because they're internationals from the Argentinian team. Um, and that drops down to, what, 135. And then, basically, if, if you cut teams, you're reducing the potential player pool that you have available for you at the professional level. That's not even taking into account injuries, loss of form, or just they're not what the, co- the international coach is looking for. Sorry, the national coach is looking for within that particular position. And so I just really worry that um, what will happen if we reduce the number of our teams down following what uh, Gainline Analytics' argument is in terms of cohesion is that you actually reduce player quality because you are providing less opportunities for development and a less significant player base to be able to choose from. So I just wonder Can I just quickly um, at jump what in point... Quickly? Can I just quickly jump in? One second. I want to finish this one sentence yep. and then you're in. Um, I just wonder at what point the the crossover between quality player base and cohesion come together and then just start butting heads against each other. Because surely it doesn't matter how cohesive your team is if they're full of players that aren't as good as what you would have access to with a wider player pool. That's just a thought. Mitch? Um, I think we need to be aware that what Ben is talking about here is the professional model and the professional model only. 
I don't think he's talking about this as a development pathway. I've, I've heard Ben say that we do need something like the NRC underneath to, to underpin Super Rugby. Yep. And he's only talking purely from a, a position of making the Wallabies strong. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that we go down to three teams, not because that's going to be better for development of talent, but because that's going to mean that the, the limited talent that we do have will play together more often, which will then flow into the Wallabies, which will then make the Wallabies better. It's not necessarily saying that by cutting the teams, we're going to increase the talent of the players. That's a different topic. That's around the NRC. And he has he has addressed that and said that we do need an NRC or some development underneath Super Rugby. We just, we can't look at the two things as the same. Like you can't start talking about cohesion and development pathways in the same conversation because they're yep. two separate things. I hear what I you're saying. To... That's not what I was saying, but I hear I know, what I you're saying. To... Within it. Yep. Yeah. Um, what we'll do is we'll put that link up as well. Uh, Rev, do you have any points that you want to jump into here or should I keep going? I'm happy for you to keep going. Um, yes. Yeah, and I might jump in at the end. Easy. Okay, cool. So basically uh, from here, I just wanted to move on to something that Nick Wasiliev actually brought up on Twitter earlier within the week, and I thought it'd be a really good thing for us to be touching on. Um, Nick Wasiliev involved with Green and Gold Rugby for a long time, got a great book out, When Men Cry as well, get it out at all good booksellers too. It's on my shelf right here, actually. Um, Keyboard Warriors, saying that the Wallabies are the worst they've ever been, blah, blah, blah. Personally, never thought that, and this great stat from Wayne Keith Smith basically Wayne Smith in the Sydney Morning Herald, confirms that we've done the best against the All Blacks by world standards. The last 14 times New Zealand has come to Australia, dating back to 2011, they've won seven, drawn two, and lost five, which only gives them a 50% record here. So, pretty surprised by that. By comparison, in South Africa since 2011, they've won six and lost two. And in England, since 2012, they've won three and lost one. So, it goes from 50% in Australia to 75%. Uh, this is New Zealand victories, by the way. 50%, 75% for South Africa, and then 75% for England. Yes, we play them more, and it doesn't include our efforts in New Zealand, and it doesn't highlight a lack of success against other teams, but it shows in New Zealand terms that Australia is the hardest place for them to win. Rev? Uh, yeah, this one's interesting because uh, whenever you get to play them more often, we get to lose more, we get to win more. So it's taking, uh, I guess, the good and the bad with that, I think. The record in Australia is really impressive. And I think if you take out Sydney, and this isn't a slide at New South Wales, if you take out Sydney, the record's even better. I think that seems to be the mm. one spot they're pretty comfortable at um, getting into. For sure. But um, with the wins, and I think with that whole comparison of numbers, the thing that I draw caution with is because I like Wasiliev's argument, but the nature of the losses is probably the biggest <laughs> yeah. point. And I think... There are a few examples of South Africa, like their 57-0 loss is, you know, ridiculous. And that's always something you can look back and smile at if you think that, um, you know, the Wallabies are doing poorly. Like, look at how good the Springboks are now, and that loss was less than five years ago. But the number of our losses to New Zealand, like in the last 50 games, we've lost um, by 20 points or more on more than 20 occasions. Oh, that's like, horrible. It's It's really ugly reading. But when you compare that to England, sure, they don't, you know, they don't play each other as much, and England don't win all that often. But when we look at their last, you know, several results, I would have to go back to 2008, uh, where England lost by more than 20 points. Yet we've done that 20 times since 2003. So it's 
it's a massive difference there, um, I think, in terms of the nature of the losses. I do think we're pretty good at winning the dead robbers. I do think we're pretty good at, you know, um, showing a bit of resolve when the chips are sort of down. But, you know, these other teams that do versus New Zealand, even if they're not winning that much, I feel like they're putting in more respectable performances. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's important to, I guess, put some perspective into it. I do enjoy the fact that stats can be used to tell multiple stories. Uh, so that's, that's a really good one. Um, what we might do is let's jump straight into the locker room here because we did have that really good, um, comment, even though it wasn't directly to us from Nick Wasiliev. And I just really, really need to start with this. Uh, when will Mitchell Foster, Mitchell Foster publicly admit he's betrayed the Waratahs and joined the Reds badwagon? Is he repentant? Does he understand the enormity of his defection? And for those of you listening at home in the car, on your walks, whatever, He's currently sitting here wearing a Reds jacket. Uh, he's been touting the fact that he's going to defect to the Reds all throughout last year's Super Rugby competition. And my eyes do not deceive me. He is wearing the Reds colours loud and proud. Mitchell, what say you? I wouldn't say that I've defected yet. Yet. Um, <laughs> it's very... It, no one says anywhere that you're not allowed to have two teams. You so, were pretty, pretty anti-Reds when we started this pod, mate. I was. I was, but this year has been a year and the Waratahs, <laughs> there's only so much you can you can keep enduring as a Waratahs fan this year without your eyes starting to wander and actually looking at the greener pastures across our border. So um, I, I won't say that I've fully defected. I'm still Waratahs through and through down down in the, the heart of hearts, but I do, I really like what the Reds are doing at the moment. I really like the style of rugby that they play. I love the players that they've got together. Um, Brad Thorne. So I, I admire them for what they've done. They've run one Super Rugby AU this year, which was really great to see after so long. So I, I admire them for what they've done. I love the players they've put together. I'm not defecting to Queensland just yet. But if we really want to go to it, we can put it up a, a trial match this year. I imagine the Waratahs will play the Reds. If we want to, to draw allegiances and make a line to cross, we'll put it down to a trial game. And maybe Rev can get involved with that too. He'll support the Tards for the season if the Tards get up in a preseason match. How does that sound, mate? Yeah. Um, again, I really have to apologize to anyone listening that's here in the vomit. I can't stop it. <laughs> it's, sorry, I'll get a bucket. It's just a retching. It's just <laughs> a retching. It's, it's involuntary a retching. retching. Now, on slightly more palatable topics here, uh, we have Tony Mickley, who has got in touch on Twitter and asks, who starts at 10 and why is it Quade Cooper? Rev. Uh, look, I think it's still going to be Noor for this one. Um, but the interesting thing, even the outer row rugby pod uh, as part of rugby pass, they're really getting behind this whole notion of Quade Cooper and pressing so much at training that he's sort of playing himself into the 23. I would like to think that we still uh, persist with Lolisia. I think he's mm. the one that we'd want to keep uh, developing and improving. But I mean, Quade probably is the next option I'd want at 10. Like I'd probably want him at 10 over Tamura at the moment. Um, and given O'Connor seems like he's staying in Queensland, then yeah, why not put him on the bench and see how he goes? My understanding based upon Rugby Heaven last week um, was that he was going to be joining up with the squad. Uh, that was my understanding when they when they came back into Queensland. So he won't be available this weekend, but once the rest of the Rugby Championship um, starts mm. up, he'll be rejoining and should be good to go. Um Anyway, I'd hope so. If, yeah, he, if he's so. not ready to go by now, Jock, like, that's a massive worry. Yep. Uh, Billy on a big fact hunt on Twitter asks, or to discuss. <laughs> what a name. Uh, it's good. Um, 
So, if the fastest way to grow the game, both money and player numbers, is for the Wallabies to win, why are we sending five teams into Super Rugby? Plenty of evidence suggests this hurts the Wallabies, especially if the skill voids are filled with overseasers. I feel like we've kind of already discussed this um, I will have, in our talk I, around I will cohesion. Say one Mitch, thing. Why don't I will you say one it? thing? Um, that I read somewhere on Twitter, and I can't remember who wrote it, so I'm sorry about that, and I'll give you a shout out if I can find it again. But someone suggested a promotion relegation system for Australian rugby. Now, I like, I kind of like the, this idea. If we were to only have, say, two Australian, two or three, probably two Australian teams going across to play New Zealand. So we play Super Rugby AU, and the two teams that make the grand final then get promoted into the Super Rugby Trans Tasman or whatever it's called um, to represent Australia, and therefore they're the best two teams of Australian rugby. Now, on one hand, you could say that that might be a good thing because, you know, less, less players. Um, are going to be experienced to New Zealand teams and our lower side, lower ranked sides aren't going to get smashed by them. But at the same time, it's probably not going to do anything in terms of cohesion because it's not bringing together the best teams in Australia. But um, I just think to grow the game, we can't have less than five teams in, in, in Australia and we, we need them to be involved in Super Rugby. So... It yeah. really is the only the only model going forward. I think we've just got to separate Wolby success with growing the game as well. In like th- th- spreading the game might be a better way of saying it. In that, I think if you were to get rid of the Force or the Rebels or like I don't know, just say get rid of the Tars, or whatever. Um, you're just losing potential players and you're losing interest within the game. You're losing sponsorship opportunities for different market areas. Um, we're even seeing that within the removal of um. Penrith from the Shoot Shield. It's just that we're continually constricting our player base and pathway opportunities for juniors. And so we're going to make sure that that does not continue to happen. Uh, Then here we have Brett McKay saying, is Steve Hansen becoming 2020's version of post-2003 Rugby World Cup winning Clive Woodward with opinion on anything and everything? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, But also look at the timing of his comments as well. And he still is serving the Dark Lord uh, which is New Zealand rugby. But you look at the timing of his comments and they're calculated to try and put pressure upon referees, to try and place pressure upon South Africa. And um, for those who don't know, he's been coming out critiquing South African playing style um, and just commentary around the way in which South Africa have been playing or they've been refed. And yeah, he, he's just doing it to try and get involved in the mind games and using his platform to do that. So We haven't uh, mentioned it yet. And I think this is a perfect time to say that the 100th test between the Springboks and the All Blacks is going to be played as a curtain raiser for the real test, which is the Wallabies facing Argentina. I imagine yep. there are a lot of people around the world who are not happy with the fact that it's been, first of all, played in Townsville, but also that it's been played as a curtain raiser to a Wallabies game. <laughs> I read somewhere that the time difference is meant to actually be better for an overseas market. Am I right or am I wrong in that? Anybody have any thoughts? It'd be better for New Zealand because it's earlier. Mm. It's um, not too bad in that it'll be like a 6 a.m. sort of game for people in uh, large parts of Europe. So it's watchable. It's not as if it's like a 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. like we have to do for South African games. But there's still a lot of complaints. So the South Africans in particular, I think, aren't stoked about having to you know watch this game with coffee as opposed to beer. Seems to be the one um, sort oh, of don't worry. big worry. I critique. imagine most of them will still be drinking beer. Yeah, I'd, I'd, especially if they get up, um, I think that'll be beer central. So that, that'd be the only thing. But um, yeah, I mean, I, we're just making it work in COVID time. So yep. I've, I've got no issue with this. Um, I just 
yeah, like Mitch was saying, I just really want to thank New Zealand and South African rugby for being willing to let themselves be the curtain raisers for what's really going to be the main show of yeah. that night. So thank you. Know, thank you for being be so humble. It will be a better humble. game. It will be the better game out of the two. Yeah, yeah. Australia and Argentina is going to be a cracker. I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, it's going to be good. Um, guys, on, on that top note, I think we can leave it there. So thank you so much, everybody, for getting to this point of the pod. You're the real MVPs. Uh, Rev, thank you for being here. Mitch, thank you for being here. Ando, myself, thank you for being here. Have a <laughs> wonderful night, ladies and gentlemen. And like we'll catch you all on Thursday for Pick and Drive Thursday, Live. Thursday, Pick and Drive Live, 8 p.m. Be there.